Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. You have tuned into the Rebel News live stream on this, a Thursday, August 5th, 2021. I'm David Menzies and my co-host, oh wow, my co, she is, she is always my winning lottery ticket. She is the she-devil with a sword. She is the Khaleesi of Northern Alberta. She is Sheila Gunn-Reed. How are you doing there, Sheila? I'm great, David. Thank you so much for asking. How are you doing? I never ask you how you're doing. How are you doing? I'm doing great because I went to my mailbox today and I had a big debate with uh, Mr. Producer uh, about the authenticity <laughs> of this being a win. I won $50 in the Heart and Stroke Lottery and uh, Mr. Producer mocked me because the ticket cost $100. So I'm kind of $50 in the, in the uh, red. But then again, this is for a good cause. It's for charity. I'm probably going to need the Heart and Stroke Foundation the way things are going these days. So uh, I call that win-win. Where do you stand on this, Sheila? I think that every day that you are on the right side of the dirt is a win in the Heart and Stroke <laughs> Foundation lottery of life. That's what I think, David. You're a winner every day you're still alive. Congrats. Well, Mr. Producer wants me to donate that $50 to the Heart and Stroke Foundation. And uh, I, I'm going to meet him halfway. I'm going to use the $50 and another $50 to buy another Heart and Stroke Foundation. When I win the top prize of a million, then I can start being daddy big bucks and making real nice charitable donations. But right now, there are bills to pay, Sheila. Yeah, David, let it ride. Just let it ride. <laughs> <laughs> Now, uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, speaking of lotteries, because lotteries has been one of the things that have, um, I guess, the lottery people have pushed you around in the past. But I, I think... Rolls of Scotch, Glen Farkless 105, which, of course, is an excellent product and is completely out of stock at the mismanaged government-run uh, liquor bureaucracy control board of Ontario. And uh, when I got home, I only had two. And you'd think that this would be a, a really easy fix. See, they come in cylinders, so I, I didn't know um, that I had only two bottles, and I couldn't tell by the weight because they have to take um, the, the, the cylinders out of a locked cabinet, bring it to the cash desk. So the first time I actually lifted it was when I got home, and right away I knew it was a little light, a little light by 700 milliliters. And... Um, I, if, I'll give credit where it's due. I reached out to the website, Hello LCBO, and within 24 hours, they instructed the store to give me my bottle. And then when we went to pick it up, the manager, a like, if there's a comic book to be created along the lines of Superman, Supergirl, Superdog, Supermonkey, this is Super Karen. And she decided on a whim, despite being told by the head office, she wasn't going to give it to me. And she told me to go back to head office, which I thought was redundant, which we did. And we reached out to the public relations person and the customer service guru. Um, such a guru, Sheila, that every time you called her customer number. Customer service. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> every time you called her number, she never answered. It went right to voicemail. And you were greeted with this message. The person you are trying to reach has her voicemail box full. <laughs> so so uh, that was a dead end too. So the most recent update, and I'm sorry I've gone on so long about something that really is quite people trivial. People want to know. Yeah. People want to know, David. This is very important to people. They're emotionally invested in you getting your liquor. It's unbelievable. Um, 
uh, we have our lawyers now on it. They have just recently <laughs> sent a demand letter. I mean, can you imagine, folks, a $110 bottle uh, that the LCBO admits is mine, bought and paid for. I guess it's a new promotion, eh, Sheila? Only a government liquor monopoly would come up with that. Buy three, get two. Um, yeah. So the demand letter is either about to be sent or has been sent. And um, it, it, this is staggering to me. I mean, could you, like, you know, Sheila, if this had happened in your neck of the woods, I mean, once upon a time, Alberta had a government-run liquor monopoly, but in the early 90s, I believe, it went into the private sector where it should be. Government's role should be to regulate and tax, not mm -hmm. to warehouse and retail uh, booze or lottery tickets or anything else. And tell me, how would this play out if you went to your local mom-pa liquor store and uh, this mistake was made? It wouldn't play out here because there's a requirement to give customer service when your customer can just go to the liquor store that way, two blocks over. There's competition, and so they compete for the customer. In Ontario, they don't have to compete for the customer. If you want to buy booze, you got to buy it from either the government or the agency stores, and that's the end of it. So there's no obligation to provide you any sort of customer service. They, I mean, the, the idea that they even have a customer service person is just a make-work project, obviously, <laughs> and they're not even working all that hard because their voicemail is full. Why even bother? You don't have to compete for the customer. You don't have to treat them well. Who cares, right? Isn't it amazing? And you know, Sheila, it has even become more egregious during this time of COVID. And by that, I mean, when it comes to spirits, which the LCBO has a monopoly on, it is our way or the highway. Literally, I would have to drive to Buffalo and cross the border <laughs> and get, but you can't do that, As right? quarantine. So it's our way or our way. Yeah, I mean, in Alberta, if I don't like the liquor store up the road, well, it's not up the road. I mean, I live in the middle of nowhere. However, because it's privatized, there are liquor stores literally in the middle of nowhere. Um, but if I don't like that one, I just go to the other one and I go to the other one and I give that guy who treated me right my business. You get abused by the government and you have no choice but to shop from them. It, it is astonishing, Sheila. And so uh, to wrap this, as soon as we get a response from the LCBO. And by the way, I don't want $110. I want a bottle of Glenn Farkless 105. And I'll tell you why, Sheila. I mentioned their incompetence in keeping this great bottle in on the shelves. I want them to run, go through hoops, go all the way to Scotland to get this bottle and bring it to me because that is far more valuable to me right now than money. They don't, a hundred, I mean, I can't even believe we're talking about this for a, an organization that has revenues in the billions annually, uh, Sheila, that this is even an issue. But I, I, like I said to our legal team, no, 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 no gift card, no cash, give me the bottle. And if that means that these bureaucrats at the liquor monopoly have to get off their ricotta cheese candy asses and make some phone calls and get that product back on the shelf, well then I call that win-win, Sheila. I hope you get an apology too for that from oh, that store chance. manager. <laughs> I hope you do though, even not if it's insincere and humiliating because these forced apologies, they're never sincere, right? But I think it's a victory to wring it out of somebody, especially somebody who thought that they could just steal from you and just be like, okay, well, thanks, bye. 
I think you deserve an apology from her because she wasted your entire day. You knew everybody's name before you left the store. You were there that long. Sheila, she called the police on us, you know. And, and, you know, I I mean, people think we might be going on a bit about this. But the thing is, I believe that that, that video had more than 100,000 views uh, on our YouTube channel. And I think it hit a note, Sheila, of millions of Ontarian liquor buyers who have been so mistreated by yep. this grotesque bureaucracy, you know, have been so disrespected, you know, and in addition to paying outrageous prices uh, because they are a monopoly, I think it resonated. And this was just so over the line, you know, a person honestly buying. By the way, you know, Sheila, I got to tell you, if I was pulling a scam here, I wouldn't go through all these hoops. I just take the bottle and walk out the store. They they lose millions every year by people openly stealing. They they have a they have a, a laissez-faire hands-off policy. So I don't have to go through this crazy scheme if people think it's a scheme. Um, so in other words, another honest Ontario taxpayer getting the shaft from the provincial government. I think that's why it got so many views. Well, and there's also the whole, like, Albertans would look on this with horror, right? Like, we look at this with horror and we're like, holy, that could be us, if not for the foresight of Ralph Klein, right? So it's it resonates with everybody. So Albertans are a little bit horrified, but also a little bit smug because we don't have to experience that. So you want to watch it too. And it's it's not just about 100 bucks. It's about, again, one guy of many that don't have a platform who got screwed by the government and also that you guys are paying government workers to sell liquor is like that you're paying government wages and government benefits to sell liquor that also I mean that's mortifying it's grotesque and I can say one last thing Uh, in June Sheila we were out um, in um, Kleinberg uh, to cover uh, a protest there and somebody pulled up, he honked his horn furiously. I thought it was someone that was gonna flip me the bird for some reason. Quite the contrary. He thought I might be at this protest and this viewer, and I mean, I'm so humbled by this, so honored. He gave me a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue, which retails in this province for $340. I tried to decline it like five times. He insisted I take it. And, um, you know, she like goes back to what we've always said. Could you imagine a CBC or Global or CTV reporter having uh, cash or goods stuffed into their hands by their audience? It just wouldn't happen, right? No, the 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 pocket and money, it goes the other way with the CBC. <laughs> <laughs> they reach into your pocket and just take your money. Um, yeah, we have the best people. We just have the yeah. best people, and uh, we we're do. so grateful for them because we wouldn't be here without them. There's nothing that we would be doing without their support, and they're, they're the best. And, you know, when you meet them out in the world, um, I'm just, you know, I think some people are, they they might recognize it like like I could tell it in the corner of my eye if I'm at the Canadian Tire and somebody recognizes me. I know. Um, and I think sometimes people are scared to approach us because we're just going about our regular lives. But I want to hear from you. I'm so grateful. I can't go shopping in Canadian Tire to buy plants without <laughs> the fact that these people are giving me a job. So please approach me. I want I want the opportunity to say thank you to you. 
You know, Sheila, I think your face should be on one of the Canadian Tire uh, bills, you know, one of the I spent a lot of money there. Are they still giving that <laughs> out, by the way, or is that all digitized now? It's all digitized mostly. I don't, oh. I don't know. My all kid has a wallet is full of it. Sapped, probably in the name of COVID too, right? What did you do with your Canadian Tire money when you were a kid? Did you buy hockey sticks with it? That's what mine do. <laughs> I can't remember what. <laughs> you know, if I was smart, I would have kept the bills in pristine mint condition because evidently there's a collectible community of uh, Canadian Tire money. So you can get far more, kind of like, you know, comics, right? But not stamps. I inherited some stamps and I tried to sell the stamps. And the, the guy at the, the collectibles place said, they're basically worthless. I said, what? He says, I would just use them to mail letters. And I go, somebody's <laughs> go back to the 1960s. He goes, nobody's collecting stamps anymore. So I've got all these binders of mint condition stamps that are completely worthless. <laughs> Do you know what, though? Keep hanging on to them because someday people are going to be like, did you know that people used to send letters in the mail? <laughs> so keep hanging on to them. They, they might not be worth something, but they might be historical artifacts one day. Yeah. You know, yeah, kids, once upon a time, those people working for Canada Post, they weren't just shoving junk in your mailbox. There was actually correspondence from your aunts and uncles and grandparents. Imagine we that. Paid <laughs> Let grandpa tell you about the time that we paid people way too much money to deliver these things to our mailboxes. And then <laughs> they would strike because they wanted us to believe they were really important. But when they went on strike, nobody noticed. Oh, but <laughs> Sheila, back in the 70s, when, they, when their yeah. union was very radicalized, it did bring the country to its knees, you know, because there was yep. no such thing as emails and yeah. computers and iPhones. And but they wouldn't dare strike today because you, no one would notice. In fact, you might be thing. doing people no a favor. Notice. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Uh, I've got less stuff in my blue bin now. <laughs> yeah, I live out in the middle of nowhere, so they don't deliver junk mail out here very much. So I have a sister-in-law who lives in town and she saves me junk mail because it's a treat for me to have like an actual flyer to read. It's kind of fun. Wow. Well, from mail monopolies and liquor monopolies, I guess we've covered all the bases, Sheila. What is the ostensible policy reason of this show, which we're already a quarter into? <laughs> right. I guess we'll talk about the big tech monopoly now. So <laughs> this is the <laughs> this is the Rebel News Daily live stream. It used to just be hosted by Ezra on Fridays, um, and it used to just be streamed on YouTube. Um, but then the pandemic struck and everybody was at home and we couldn't really travel for work and nothing was open. So we thought, let's sit down, talk to our viewers for an hour every single workday. A lot of you were at home and, you know, why not sit down and talk to you? And the news was changing so fast that, you know, sometimes to do a full produced video to address a subject by then the news is stale. So sit down, talk about the news of the day. And it was a great way for you to support the work that we do through something called a super chat on YouTube. But then YouTube, the mask slipped and oh Lord, behind there was a monster, a censorship monster. They've completely demonetized us on YouTube. It's cutting a $400,000 hole right through the middle of the company. Yeah. Now there are 1.5 million people approximately or pretty close to who watch us on YouTube. We don't want to abandon you and YouTube doesn't want us there. So we remain streaming there for spite, even though we can't make any money off it and you know, nothing's free and Justin doesn't work for free. 
So we are also streaming on other platforms like Rumble, where you can watch us there. It's a great free speech company. You can also watch us on Super U, which is a sort of a new-ish company. And while you're there, you can send us something called a Super U shout, and you can tip us as a creator there for our work if you want to support us. And on Odyssey, they've really been um, responsive to the people who are on their platform, both as creators, but also as people who just watch stuff on Odyssey. There are a bunch of different ways that you can support your favorite content creators on Odyssey. You can do it by purchasing some of their library cryptocurrency. If you're a regular viewer, I don't know anything about cryptocurrency, but boy, if you want to give us some, we're happy to take it. You can buy some of their library cryptocurrency and you can donate it to us in a couple of ways through a hyper chat. Um, So you can send us some of that while we're broadcasting and we'll read it on air. You can also tip us in, uh, in a library cryptocurrency as a content creator, but you can also tip us as Uh, a content creator using good old-fashioned fiat currency. So there's a bunch of ways that you can support the work that we do, even though YouTube is evil. Sheila, I have no idea how you are able to memorize all of that. I I mean, maybe you missed your calling. Maybe you should have been an actress. Oh, David, I act like you're funny all the time. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Touche. Yeah. Well, um, to be or not to be, uh, I see the first video on our list. I don't like the title of this one, Sheila. Kian was allegedly assaulted at a protest. Let's run the video and check this out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The majority of all the majority of people in this province. Unions back communists. So if you want to lose your freedom, stick with the union. You're going to be in trouble Please sticking with the union. Go to projectcalvary.org. What was that? Oh, what was that look at this crazy lady. Project.org. I can't hear you. Look at this crazy, crazy lady attacking people. Well, you know, Sheila, um, my initial reaction is it's not exactly a Dion Buse punch in the nose like you received at that Women's Day march uh, back in Edmonton uh, many moons ago. But still, um, completely unacceptable. Some uh, Karen doesn't like the idea that she's being filmed in public where you have 0.0% chance of having any kind of privacy because you're in public. You're being filmed all the time by multiple cameras. And um, luckily, we have a boss, Ezra Levent, that doesn't like our people touched, doesn't like our equipment manhandled. And we're going to find out who this person is and uh, take action. What are your thoughts, Sheila? NDP, come and get your grandma. She's acting up. I mean, they're doing these large scale. I mean, they say they're like public health protests. So gathering in large numbers to protest, I guess, gathering in large numbers, being allowed to do that. But this lady, she's so concerned about public health that she comes over. She's touching her mask all over the place and she's putting her hands on our guy. Like what? What's wrong with you, lady? Even she doesn't believe this garbage about, you know, distancing and whatnot but let's talk about the cop he's standing right there and this out of control grandma she's agitated she i 
to look at her though, I'm not so sure that she normally behaves like this. She doesn't seem like a Antifa grandma. She just seems like she's been radicalized by fear, maybe. But there's a cop right there. And he what what are you doing? You can't put our hands on you can't put your hands on our guy. You just can't. So where's her warning? Where's her like, ma'am, show me your ID. There's none of that happening. Yeah. It's just like this grandma reaches out and grabs Kian. Maybe Kian reminds her of her grandson or whatever, <laughs> but you can't go around scolding young men with your hands in public lady. Sorry. Yeah. And while it might seem minor cause Kian's a young guy and this is somebody's little bitty out of control Grammy. Um, the point is, if we don't put a marker down, this escalates and this escalates and this escalates. And K2 is all K2. That's what we call Kian number two, because whoever heard of a Kian and then all of a sudden we had two, um, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Um, but K2 is already on Antifa's radar. And so if we let somebody's little bitty out of control grandma get away with this and the cops not, we allow them not to enforce uh, the law here in this instance, um, what happens when Antifa gets the same idea? And so we need to, it, it, it needs to be a, like a sphere of deterrence around our people all the time. A hundred percent. And you know, the funny thing is, if you are a demonstrator, Sheila, uh, even if it's media that you consider hostile to your cause, isn't the ostensible policy reason of taking part in a demonstration to get your message out saying that the reason I'm here, you know, to get that, you know, proverbial free advertising for your cause. And by the way, speaking of causes, am I getting this right, Sheila? This was a lockdown protest, but not an anti-lockdown protest, basically a pro-lockdown protest? Yeah, these people want, so uh, in Alberta, they're ending contact tracing. Uh, we're ending quarantine if you're sick, um, because apparently there's a high percentage of our population that's vaccinated. And even though people are crying about the Delta variant, our hospitalization rates are way down, way down. So we're putting an end to the case count porn. We are not testing people unless you require hospitalization. If you have the sniffles, do what you normally do with the sniffles. Wash your hands. Don't sneeze on people, whatever. So these people are out there because they want more of the case count porn that they get in the news every day. And there is only one reason to continue counting cases, especially when people are not sick and not hospitalized, and that is justification for further lockdowns. So when they will say in the media, oh, we're not for lockdowns, we just want you know th the data, they're stopping collecting the data. There is only one reason to continue to collect that data, and that is to use it for another lockdown in the fall. And so they're out there asking for more, and it is all public sector unions. It's the healthcare unions and the uh, public education unions. You can see it in their signage. It's protect uh, education. You know, these people, they're cutting health care. No, we're just not giving you the increase you wanted. That's a big yeah. difference. The, you're still getting an increase. It's just not at the percentage rate that you wanted. You're still, you know, like heaven forbid these people get matched to inflation, but whatever. Um, so that's what they're out there doing. And, you know, they, they want to see masks in schools in the fall. My kid was out there last night playing full contact rugby on the field, getting stepped on, <laughs> spit on, whatever. And these people want her to go in the fall 
and socially distance from her little friends for another year in a classroom, um, even though they all hang out at lunchtime over at the mall. Um, that's what they want. They want to, I call them childless comorbidities because to look at them, you're like, no, you don't, you don't have skin in this game except for the fact that you live in fear of the virus because of your lifestyle choices. But what does that have to do with me and my kids? Right. You know, Sheila, you make perfect sense in identifying who these pro lockdown people are, because of course they're in the public sector. That means unlike so many Canadians who have been laid off for the last year and a half, they haven't lost their jobs. Unlike so many thousands of businesses that have gone bankrupt, they haven't lost their business. Unlike so many who have experienced mental health issues because they don't have a job or their business has gone bankrupt, they've never had to suffer that. It's all about them, right? It's all about whatever raises they can uh, get uh, increase in benefits, etc. Mm-hmm. And yet they are in a very, you know, privileged position. They yeah. haven't had to suffer like those in the private sector have had to suffer. I wonder how many people were at that protest. It must have been really pathetic because can you imagine being unemployed and the owner of a now defunct business going, yeah, uh, Premier Kenny, I want more lockdowns. No reasonable person would want to join that protest. Well, and to bring this all back to the reason we're even talking about this is we sent Kian and Adam down there to the protest and we had to have security for them. We sent two security with them because these people think that they can touch our people without consequences. And there will be consequences. I don't care if you're somebody's grandma or Dion Buse. You don't touch our people. And from what I understand, um, and from some of the footage that is coming in already from that, from the event, um, there's no way that Adam and K2 could have went in that protest without security. There mm. were people, you know, chasing them, yelling at them, uh, trying to put their hands on them. Thank God we had security there. It's a very um, expensive thing to hire the executive level security for our people. But in the interest of bringing everybody the other side of this story, we cannot be too scared or too intimidated to cover this stuff because there's a reason why these people never put their hands on global or CBC is because they act as press secretaries for whatever public sector union is faking an AstroTurf protest of parents. Give me a break. Um, You know, so I, I guess the moral of the story is we need to have something like Journalist Defense Fund. That's our security fund just so that we can go about bringing you the news, because sometimes the news is dangerous for us. And people think that they can put their hands on K2 or Adam or me or you or even Ezra. Um, so anyways, if you'd like to contribute to help keep us safe, please donate at Journalist Defense Fund. Uh, .com. It sure came in handy for the guys last night. Oh, 100%. You know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing the whole video, Sheila. Are, are you, do you mean to tell me that these are public sector workers acting so belligerently, uh, or were there elements of the Antifa types at this protest? Uh, I think it, it's six of one, half a dozen of another, and sometimes I don't think there's a distinction between the two. It's like <laughs> saying, oh, 
you know, the liberals and the mainstream media. And you're like, oh, is there a distinction? Because I repeat myself, you know what I mean? Um, So I think it was uh, there was a lot of strong overlap there. Um, And, uh, you know, the the guys were, it sounds like, in some pretty serious danger last night. And the cops were there. But we had to have private security because uh, grandmas get out of control down there. It's just and the the most ironic part of all of this is these are the same people who say, no, we need to maintain social distance to protect the public health. And there they are getting handsy with our guys. And, you know, they're also the people that are all about safe spaces and safe environments, meaning yeah. that if you use the wrong pronoun, they're misgendered and they they're crushed by that. Meanwhile, they're throwing actual fists and grabbing onto equipment, you know, creating real danger as opposed to uh, uh, fantasy danger. Speaking of uh, real danger, uh, I want to uh, just tip everybody off to a story that I was working on last week. Um, sort of relive some nonsense um, of Dion Buse. I pulled access to information on CBC's communications with Dion Buse when they gave him that uh, advertorial okay. about how well his guitar business was doing during the pandemic, and they called him uh, Dion James instead of Dion James Buse, which is Jeez. the cor- the name they used in court. Um, and uh, they were what the I'll, I I hate to give away too much of the story, but CBC. I have it in their communications. They were watching my reaction to the story online. So they knew, they knew who he was. They knew, and they continued their communications with him well after the story broke and the firestorm happened where where everyone's like, "Uh, that guy punched a lady, what are you doing? Uh, They talked to him well after that. Well, that's spectacular then, Sheila, because uh, I would imagine CBC would be very much about feminist causes and anti-violence against women. How do they put somebody that punches a woman into a puff piece about his guitar business and meanwhile, not even mentioning what his real surname is? I don't know, ask me how Gian Gomeshi got away with it for so long, you know? It's a systemic problem down there at the CBC. Where is that guy these days? That's a name I haven't heard in like, maybe three years. <laughs> Do you know what though? That's a good thing. That's great. <laughs> uh, Justin wants us to get to some of these chats. 100%. Because uh, I do want to address um, some of the Pat King stuff because Absolutely. I did take the time. I did take the time to read the full transcript of what happened and examined um, the AHS um, originating uh, documents um, and what is being portrayed in the media is definitely not reflective of the reality of what went down in the courtroom. And I'm not sure if that's intentional or otherwise. I don't want to read too much into that. Um, but I will, as always, reach out to the other side for their explanation. Yep. But I, I just want to go through everything so that people can see this is actually what it says. And this is what you might be seeing in the media. And that is not what went down. So Correct. anyways. Uh, a hyper chat of one library from Snap Phase. Uh, keep exposing the truth as you see it. That's the plan, friend. We've got a super you tip from AMT60. You tipped us two bucks. Thanks very much. Thank you. AMT60, when is the Alberta election? I'm retiring soon in Ontario, and I'm thinking of moving out to Alberta if open. We're already open. 
get out here. <laughs> what are you doing in that prison province? Don't even consider it. Just get out here. Just go. And Sheila, I understand great real estate deals to be had right now in Alberta, many parts of Alberta. Isn't that correct? Yeah, oh, I'm telling you. Um, me and uh, Kathy Shadle, our dear departed friend, Kathy Shadle, we used to play a little game. We had an email thread of what can $1,600 a month get you where you live versus oh, yeah. what does $1,600 a month get you where I live. And it is uh, McMansion here that you can get. And she would be like, here's the shanty. Here's the cupboard that you would have to live in <laughs> in Toronto. And I'm like, oh, because um, you could have a farm of like half an hour out of town for $1,600 a month. Uh, live in your dream of being left alone for the rest of your life. Or you can live... Um, literally over a fridge in Toronto. So yeah, I mean, if you are considering moving out to Alberta, now's the time. Economy's just starting to heat up. Uh, big things are happening in the oil patch going forward. Um, so if you are moving, make the decision now, and I don't think you'll ever regret it. I, I truly believe it is an opportunity. And I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're having some fun with it, but it, it, it is ultimately a sad story, isn't it, Sheila? I mean, the mm -hmm. reason why housing prices are such a steal right now in so many parts of Alberta. You've had so many debilitating factors, declining oil prices, Justin Trudeau's energy policies, now Joe Biden's energy policies. It's one cascading uh, disaster after another that has made a, a boom town like Calgary into a bus town. But hope abounds. I think you're right. I think things are going to be coming back. So I think there's mm -hmm. a real opportunity right now. This might be the time to buy and the place to buy. It's in Alberta. Yeah, I think this is you are sort of at the base of an upswing here in Alberta. So if you want to make the decision to move out, buy or get into a long term lease, now's your time. Yeah. Now's your time. And I, I don't think you'll ever regret it. I, even when it's miserable here, it's beautiful. And there's, I mean, I just, I've experienced Toronto traffic. I don't, I don't know why you people deal with that. I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. Well, um, you get a plug-in hybrid and you get to drive in the HOV. <laughs> Something you would never do, Sheila. We don't even have special lanes for like HOVs here. We don't. We don't. We're you mean just like, I wouldn't? I wouldn't be special in Alberta with my vehicle. <laughs> oh, you'd be special, but for a thousand different reasons, David. <laughs> they put um, these uh, electric car chargers. I don't know. Must have been a, uh, an initiative um, coming out of head office at the farm supply store at PV Mart, my favorite farm supply store. So I'm like, is this a maybe something that was cooked up in one of their BC-based? offices whatever they did it anyway but i've never seen anybody use it all they ever use it for is loading lumber into somebody's big pickup that's all i've ever used it for chicken feed just loading chicken feed into the trunk that's where i park oh golly okay so we've got a uh, a rumble chat from on the bit did david ever find someone wearing the menzoid shirt and give him that hundred bucks no i have not and it's causing me great grief because 
<laughs> you know, I know the people are out there. I've seen the I've seen the sales in the store. So I know those people are out there in the wild. You just have to find them. I, I, I think it's just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, both me as the giver and uh, the person wearing the shirt as the gifty. And uh, but it and it's my own money. And that might not sound like a lot, a hundred bucks, but it's going to more than pay for the cost of the shirt. And it's coming out of my coffers, not the company. And again, no friends, no family, no co-workers. I'm not running some kind of scheme here like the LCBO would do. So uh, yeah, that offer is on the table and I can't wait to give that, uh, what do they call the $100 bills? A brownie, right, Sheila? I can't wait to give that brownie away. Do they call it that? I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's, that's gang talk. <laughs> I guess. It's Toronto, well, it is. though. <laughs> It is brown. <laughs> um, we've got a super you shout from Annalisa. I just watched Legault and Trudeau talking about making vaccines mandatory for federal employees. Wow. No way. Do you know, I was uh, talking to a friend about um, how this is being done in the military. And yes. so uh, they're basically... They're not me. It's not quite mandatory yet. However, it can stall your career if you don't take this yep. because they can render you non-deployable, which basically stops your career where you're at. Yep. And so it there's uh, it you're not able to, you know, when you're non-deployable, that's it for you. Basically, this is you're just stalled right there. And so there's heavy pressure for um, the military to take these vaccines. And the whole process of, okay, well, you can you go in, you go to your vaccine appointment, and you sit there and you talk to the guy, and then with, they'll never know, your friends will never know whether or not you got the vaccine, you just walk out. But I think you walk out with certain paperwork that indicates that you didn't take the vaccine. So then all of your, the people on your team who you rely on if you are deployed and to, you know, to be responsible for your life. Now there's this division that's happening there. And I think it, it's, uh, it's a catastrophe. And of all the, the groups of people, we probably shouldn't be doing this to, you know, uh, them. A hundred percent, Sheila. And have these leaders really thought this out, Sheila? What if you are in the category where medically you cannot take this vaccine? What happens then? They don't care. They don't care. They they just think that everybody's going to take it because they've been successfully um, weaponized by their TV into a state of radicalized anxiety. That's yeah. what's happening here. Cult leaders used to have to do this stuff in person. You know, like they yeah. used to have to go and get you and then take you away from your family and put you somewhere and isolate you but now like the government does it with their stay-at-home orders and then the tv proselytizes to you about how scared you should be about the end of the world instead of like the jim jones character it's yeah. very it's weird it's weird you know if you if you read a lot into cults and i do i don't know why i just do it's one of those things i'm interested in you see a lot of like cultural overlays happening all over the place yeah different brand of kool-aid same result yeah exactly that's exactly it um, uh, we've got a super you shout from Alberta Separatist. Remember ordering products from Sears and other catalogs and having delivered by snail mail? Yeah, that was exciting because we didn't always go to town. Like we just, and my mom didn't want to take three, 
yard apes to town like we were just farm kids so getting us to behave in a sears probably not the easiest thing for her so yeah we did a lot of mail order stuff back when mail was irrelevant um (laughs) now when you say that sheila just just so we're clear you're saying mail m-a-i-l being relevant not m-a-l-e because i have a little skin in the game about being relevant as a male do you know what, David? I think you're highly relevant. I like men, but the other ladies out there, like the the radical feminists, they think you guys are irrelevant and obsolete. I don't. Okay. Just I like you guys. <laughs> yeah, Justin says you might be irrelevant, but I don't know. That's a lady menzoid decision. You know, if she's fine with you, what's it got to do with me? Um, we've got a hyper chat of five libraries from Rebecca Henderson. Are pro-lockdown protests super spreader events? Well, I don't know. Was BLM? Depends on politics, right? Is CBC Global or CTV going to report and label these protests as COVID-idiots? No, they're not. Not at all. No. Nope. And, and, you know, on that note, Sheila, last Friday I went to the Sky Dome. I refused to call it the Rogers Centre, given that old man Rogers bought the joint for 4% of the <laughs> construction costs. But I can tell you this, you know, to show you what lack of science there was, I didn't learn this till later watching the game on TV, that there's only 15,000 people allowed into this stadium that seats 50,000 for baseball. All the expensive seats, it's chock-a-block, just like 2019, right? No difference. The cheap seats is where the social distancing is, and the upper bowl, the 500 level, is empty. How does that make sense? Also, my friend Brian went to the game. He said, at the Sky Dome, it is now cashless because we don't want the, the Wuhan virus paper bills being passed around. Guess what, Sheila? That means the credit card terminal to process the credit and debit cards is being handled literally by thousands of hands, right? Yeah. How is that any more sanitary? There you go. None of, none of it makes any sense yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> Nothing. Like, the coronavirus can get you or not get you based on, I guess, your yearly annual income and yeah. your ability to afford an expensive seat. Unbelievable. Follow, follow the science, they tell me. And I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm just not seeing it. Um, <laughs> we got a rumble chat from Chronic Bud 99 I'm happy that Jason Kenny told the mainstream media to stop fear-mongering about the COVID hysteria. Me too. Feels like there's almost an election a couple years out. <laughs> you know, that's what it feels like from Jason <laughs> Kenny. Uh, I also saw that our chief medical officer of health, Dina Hinshaw, who has been responsible for the incarceration of pastors, by the way. So, so take this for what you will. But she wrote an op-ed, I think it was in the National Post, about, like, it's time to move on from all of this. And I agree with her. But I think then that should mean that we need to allow the people she's arrested and, and or at least had arrested and incarcerated and fined and charged. It's time for them to be allowed to move on with their lives, too. So I would love to see, a, like, a, a complete pardon sanctuary issued to all those people who have experienced lockdown tickets, it's time. If you want us to move on from the lockdown, then give us the chance to move on because I'm still fighting all those problems. You know, I hope in her article, Ms. Henshaw didn't use the phrase forgive and forget because I think that's too much of an ask right now, Sheila. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, the only thing that's going to save Jason Kenney is that people don't forget Rachel Notley. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think they're ready to forget what Jason Kenney did to them. <laughs> okay, we've got a rumble from truckwares.com. $100 is just a brown. Okay, now we know. It's just a brown, not a brownie. A brown? I don't know. I no, I'm, I've never heard it referred to as a brown. I've heard it referred to as a brownie. And like I said, maybe it's a gang thing or a gangster thing, but it's a hundred bucks. If you want two fifties, you're going to have that too. <laughs> Where did you ever hear gang lingo other than on TV? Where would you? <laughs> hey, listen, I live in the mean streets of Richmond Hill, Sheila. I'll let you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we got a super you show from Devil's Advocate. What would David do if three or four people showed up first at the same time wearing the shirt? That's a nightmare because uh, I, if it was four people, that, does that mean 25 each? In which case, um, I could imagine fans becoming haters. <laughs> or do I dig deep or do I find an ATM and give them all 100? It's like that joke I know, but I don't have time to get to the punchline of the two uh, the, you know, the Arab and the Israeli rubbing a magic uh, lantern at the same time <laughs> and they get three yeah. wishes each. But I, I cannot say the punchline on a family hour. So uh, I, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it, I guess, Sheila. <laughs> I don't think it's ever going to happen. But if it does, I think we move to rocks, paper, scissors. I think that's the fairest way to do it, right? Yeah. Coin toss, rocks, paper, scissors. Okay. Uh, Justin, I think we should move into the Pat King stuff just because, um, because it's in the headline. Yes. Um, and I think we should, because I think it's really important. And then maybe we'll go out on, uh, Polyev's ad, um, because I thought, I thought it was really good. Um, and it's causing some controversy. I see some like, uh, well-kept academics are saying, oh, you know, Take this. Can you even believe this stuff from the party that ended the wheat board? And these are like Western based academics telling me what Western farmers want. And I'm like, eh, my friend's dad sort of went to jail. So I'm pretty sure we didn't actually want it. Thanks. You Th know, that's amazing. But, well, you know, uh, Sheila and, and on Pat King, uh, you have far more knowledge about this individual than I do. So, you know, please, uh, why don't you set the table? This is, of course, um, all about. Uh, information that isn't quite right about Pat King getting a major victory for Albertans in a court of law. And, and by the way, folks, when we deconstruct this, um, don't shoot the messenger and don't accuse us of being psyops or controlled opposition. That's not the fact. Sheila has the facts because she's gone through the court transcripts. And what did you discover, Sheila? Sure. Um, and let me preface this by saying I don't have any skin in the game. I yeah. don't really know Pat King at all. Um, but I do have an interest in making sure that the truth is out there. Uh, I think that's one of the things that Ezra always tells us. Follow the facts where they go. Doesn't, And then we'll make our conclusions. But we can't throw out some facts um, or, uh, you know, like go on a... Uh, have a conclusion and then just craft a story around it. That's not what we do here. So um, I think by now everybody has seen the Stu Peters, at least the headline of the Stu Peters uh, rumble chat that he had with Pat King, who is a Red Deer based activist, an anti-lockdown activist. And before that, he was a pro oil and gas activist. And again, I, I don't know Pat King from anybody, really. 
Um, but uh, Justin, would you mind bringing up the headline of that uh, Rumble Stu Peters story, if you could? Because I forget the exact headline. Um, and uh, I also want to preface this by saying I court report all the time. So I... Uh, I don't want to say I'm not saying that I'm smarter than anybody. And I'm definitely not saying that lawyers are smarter than common people. Lawyers are just common people with an expertise in law. So let's get that out of the way right away. But I do court report. So I have some familiarity with legal jargon that the regular lay person might not have. You don't need it. You're not court reporting, right? Like no, no, uh, no uh, disrespect intended. But so I want to first point out the timeline of all of this here. Um, because it says freedom fighter court victory ends masking shots and quarantine in Alberta. Now, if you know the uh, masking and basically the end of our lockdown is July 1st. That was the end of our lockdown. Yeah. This court case transpired roughly on July 19th. So <laughs> that Stu Peters would attribute credit to Pat King, I don't think is accurate or fair. And Pat King's uh, court case didn't do any of that. But I actually took the time to read the transcript of what went down in court that day. And I also read um, the originating documents from Alberta Health Services about what went down. Now, in that video, Pat King says that AHS has no material evidence that COVID-19 exists. It says the chief medical officer has no material evidence. And in the video, he presents this as, and I don't know if this is intentional or otherwise, that means that there is no evidence that COVID-19 exists. Now, that's not the case. Yeah. It may be the case, it may not be the case, but that's not what that statement means. Material in legal jargon means relevant evidence. Yeah. And then those proceedings or the court filings go on to explain exactly what that means. So, Justin, could you bring up, I sent you a document earlier um, about uh, the AHS, re their response. Okay, so I went through this with a fine tooth comb so that you could see. Let's go to number eight, because the first part is all... Um, just sort of setting the scene. So number eight, and I'm going to read this off my phone. Um, it says the chief medical officer has no material evidence. That doesn't mean that there's no evidence. It means material or relevant evidence to this case. Number eight is important. Mr. King has no evidence showing that the evidence sought from the chief medical officer is likely to be material. So let's just cross out material and say relevant to the provincial court proceedings contrary to, and then it gives the section of the code regarding his ticket. So what that means is the chief medical officer has no information about his specific ticket. And as such, the justice of the peace did not have jurisdiction to issue the subpoena and it should be squashed on this basis. So this is a jurisdictional issue. So, uh, let's go into number nine. Mr. King explained the reason for the subpoena in the document he attached as Schedule A to the subpoena, it is clear that Mr. King seeks evidence relating to the rationale for orders issued by the Chief Medical Officer of Health under the Act. He seeks evidence about crafting the statute. So he wanted the Chief Medical Officer of Health to produce evidence of isolation of the coronavirus. And I don't really know what he means by that. 
But that's what he asked for. And then if we move on to number 10, this is, this is, I guess, the really the most important part. He's asking for these things that are not relevant to his ticket. And there's a reason they aren't relevant to his ticket. And it goes to procedure and charter issues that he failed to raise sooner. So let's go into section 10. The provincial court proceeding is about the December 5th, 2020 enforcement of the law when Mr. King was issued the ticket, not the rationale for the law. So they're saying this is about the ticket. You can't ask about these other, these other things. And because you can't ask about those other things because it's not relevant to your ticket, we're not going to produce it because it's not material to the case or relevant to the case. The chief medical officer of health does not have, and Mr. King does not seek from the chief medical officer of health, so he didn't ask for it. Any evidence about the ticket issued to Mr. King on December 5th, 2020. So instead of asking the chief medical officer of health for information relating directly to his ticket that he could use in court to fight his ticket, he asked for all this other stuff that's not relevant and they're like, well, why didn't you ask for stuff relevant to your ticket? Because if we had it, we would produce it. But you didn't ask. So we're not producing all this other stuff because it's not relevant. And here's the reason it's not relevant. Further, there can be no constitutional challenge to the act or orders issued by the chief medical officer of health under the act in the absence of proper notice to the attorney general of Canada and the minister of justice and solicitor general of Alberta under the Judicature Act. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. And Mr. King has not given any notice in the provincial court proceedings. So what they're saying there, and I read through the transcripts to find when this happened. Pat King tried to raise a constitutional issue. And the judge said, you can't do that now. You should have done the, that sooner um, because you had to do that sooner to give notice to the court. So you can't ask for these things that you would use to argue against your ticket on a constitutional basis, all this like grand information about the virus from the chief medical officer of health, because you didn't raise that issue soon enough so they don't have to produce it. And so we're just dealing with the ticket, the circumstances of how the ticket came to be. That's what happened there. I hope everybody understands that. I know there's a lot of legal jargon there, but I tried to break it down. Um, it doesn't mean that there is no evidence that Alberta Health has not isolated the coronavirus. It also doesn't mean that there is evidence that they isolated the coronavirus. It just means that that evidence, if it's out there or not out there, they didn't have to produce it because it's not relevant to the ticket in court that Pat King was fighting. And that's it. And that, I think, is salient to debunking the hysteria around all of this. Not only was Alberta open three weeks prior to this court case, but what this court case did and what transpired in the court case is not what's being presented in the media. And I don't have any skin in the game except for the fact I want everybody out there to know, please do not try this yourself. Because if Pat King had a lawyer, he could have raised those constitutional issues sooner when appropriate and maybe he could have got access to this information but he didn't have a lawyer he was trying to navigate this himself and you know what he got the tickets thrown out and i don't think he got them thrown out for any other reason than the court is like this has gone on too long this is a waste of the court's time goodbye i think that's what happened there um 
but the moral of the story is you need a lawyer sometimes to navigate these tough legal issues. Pat King got as far as he could on his own. I think the crown and the court just got fed up with him, frankly, and tossed his ticket. And you know what? Great. I'm glad he doesn't have to pay it. But what you are seeing on the Internet is not what these documents say, both in the transcripts and in the filings by uh, Alberta justice lawyers. They just it's just not the, the two things are not existing in the same reality. No, uh, well said, Sheila. I, and I think you're right. I mean, two things. One is because there are so many procedural matters and because, as you said, there's so much legal jargon, this is truly a cautionary tale when it comes to what our boss likes to refer to as homemade lawyering. Don't yep. do it, folks, um, especially for something incredibly complicated like this. This is not fighting a speeding ticket, right? And it just shows you what can happen when you think you know how to proceed with the case. And yet, as Sheila mentioned, all the procedural matters, all the legal jargon, uh, you're destined uh, for failure. Secondly, um, as we said right off the hopper, this case did not end the masking rules, the, uh, the, the shots, the quarantine, that had already occurred. If there is a victory, because that was the big thing in the headline and block cap victory, uh, it's that Mr. King, and I'm happy for him, it looks like yep. he got his ticket tossed. He didn't deserve a $1,200 ticket just Nobody for protesting. Does. No, of <laughs> course, nobody. So that, yeah, that, that, that's a victory. Um, and that's it. All this other stuff, it's it, it it's irrelevant. It 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 was not argued, and um, you know, uh, Sheila, this has really become a runaway train. And and I'm not saying this with any glee. I think the reason why we're getting literally dozens of emails every day saying, "What about the Pat King story? Why aren't you covering the Pat King story?" I think it's because people in a hopeless situation are looking for any scintilla of hope, just like yep. the thousands of people that now believe we have a new queen of Canada, Queen Ramona. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I mean, it's laughable, but it's heartbreaking too, because people are at their wits end uh, with these lockdowns and restrictions and everything else. But as the saying goes, if something looks too good to be true, you know how that plays out, Sheila. Yeah, and I've, I'm of two minds of this. I mean, it's pretty clear that we've got non-lawyers dealing with complex legal issues here. So misunderstandings happen. So I'm trying to not read the, into this that this is some sort of sinister misrepresentation of what's happening. That being said, if this is a misunderstanding of what happened, it's time for a public correction from everybody involved. Yeah. Because in the interest of accuracy uh, and integrity... I think everybody involved, from Stu Peters on down, Pat King, you too, let's let's set the record straight. What is being presented in the media and online is misleading thousands of people. And if people would just take the time to read the court transcripts and to understand what the word material means in the course of a legal proceeding, it is not the way that everybody's representing this. And if it is a misunderstanding, Let's clear the air and fix this because, you know, I think the longer this goes on, the longer my mind sways towards the fact that this is 
purposeful misleading. So let's fix it right now, guys. Thanks. And you know what, Sheila? If I do say so myself, I think a fantastic story idea for you would be for you and Mr. King to have a one-on-one -on -one interview and get to the bottom of this. I think that would, uh, that would be a much-watch video, a must-watch you know, video. <laughs> I tried to send him a Facebook message this morning and I wasn't able to. Um, if somebody has uh, contact information for Pat King or if he has uh, an email address, I would love to send him my questions um, because I, I have a, an entire email that I typed out, took me an hour because I was going back and forth between court documents so that I got everything right um, versus and watching the video so that I could meticulously go through what was represented in the video versus what I was reading in the court documents. I have an email typed out. I just don't have an email address to send it to. I cut and pasted. I was going to send it in Facebook. Can't do that. So um, I would love to send a written email to Pat King so that he can answer these questions for me. If this is all an accident, if this is all inadvertent because we've got lay people trying to navigate the legal system, I get it. I want to put that on the record too. If this yeah. is like, yeah, I, I didn't really know what the word material meant. Okay, great. I'm happy. I didn't really know it either until I started court reporting yeah. and you get a crash course in legal jargon really fast. Um, so I, I understand that that could be inadvertent, but the longer yeah. this goes on, we've got a problem now. Well, Sheila, I do believe I have a contact that w will have uh, Mr. King's uh, number for you. So I'll, I'll get on that right after the live stream for you. Perfect. And I Customer think that brings service us to excellence. 1101. <laughs> that brings us to 1101. And we didn't show the um, uh, Pierre Polya video, but uh, I've got time if you've got time, Justin. Is he asleep when at the, the government switch? government okay. family farms with tax hikes, Pierre Polya fought for us. He made them back down. He protected our way of life so we can keep feeding Canadians. He's fighting for us. Yeah, um, so it makes perfect sense that one of the first things Aaron O'Toole did was demote him from the uh, finance critic uh, position, Sheila. Well, what's your opinion on that? What, what was the ostensible reason for that? Uh, you know, the sun can only shine on one, I think is the problem there. Um, and it, it's funny because these, Pierre Polyev, yeah, he, he, he was fighting for farmers. However, uh, Aaron O'Toole is about to slap them with his own carbon tax of sorts yep. um, if Aaron O'Toole gets elected. So, you know, you got to give me, again, something different to vote for. But I did think it was funny that like the, uh, I don't know, it's on my Twitter account. I forget what, I think he was from Concordia University or something like that. Some, uh, some academic professor um, telling us that the answer to um, the problems with farming and trade wars and all that stuff was that um, we need more socialism. He literally said we need more socialism. Leave it to an academic, a career academic to say, you know what those farmers out, want out there in Alberta? Handouts. Yeah. You know, and, like, you and know, coming like from, give me a break. And coming from someone that sounds like a Laurentian elite uh, who probably has never held a farm implement in his entire life. It's a bit rich, isn't it, Sheila? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I forget. It's too far gone. But yeah, there was I think it was from Concordia, Concordia University yeah. um, guy who's like, remember that these guys are the ones that ended the wheat board. And I'm like, yeah, I do. That's why I still kind of like them, actually. Like, again, something that eastern based farmers didn't have to live under. And so, I mean, if it was a good thing for everybody, why didn't everybody have to live under it? Why was yeah. it just for us?
I'd like to put that professor on a Concorde and fly him out of here, but <laughs> they don't fly those planes anymore. Well, Sheila, I think we're uh, just after one o'clock, so uh, I think we need to wrap it. Um, special thanks to Mr. Producer behind the board, all of you who donated oh. all those fancy, weird currencies. It helps pay our bills, and we're very grateful for that. So on behalf of Sheila Gunn-Reed, this is David Menzies signing off. The big boss man, Ezra, will be here tomorrow. In the meantime, stay sane. <laughs>